that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world. And then we'll look at the answer that Jesus gave. But to give a little background again, the, the name Judah was a good name. <clears throat> One of the tribes is called Judah. And Judas is the same name from that. <clears throat> and it means praise. Judas was a common name. I mentioned last week how there was a stepbrother of Jesus, one of the half-brothers whose name was Judas. There was Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Christ that we talked about last week. There's a Judas of Galilee, an insurrectionist in Acts 5. The Judas of Damascus, a member of the church that helped Saul after he had gotten saved in Acts chapter 9. And Judas Barsabbas, a preacher associated with the church at Jerusalem in Acts 15. But here, Judas, not Iscariot, has another two names, Lebius Thaddeus or Thaddeus Lebius. Those are his other two names. And, and, of course, I'm sure he preferred those names sometimes versus being called Judas after what had happened. But he was the son of Alphaeus, the Bible says, in Luke chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, Mark chapter 3, verse 18. You also see him the brother of James or the brother of James the less. But the one other thing about Judas is, not every bro- not everyone might agree with this, but I think most people agree, he's also the author of Jude, that one single chapter book right before Revelation. And so we'll end by looking at that book tonight before we stop. <clears throat> Some people think that maybe he was Jesus' half-brother, but it can't be because Jesus' half-brethren did not believe on him at first. John chapter 7 verse 5 says his own brethren did not believe him until after he rose from the, the dead. They, they even denied him. So you might find that amazing, but it, it's true. <clears throat> they did not necessarily believe that he was the Christ until, until later on. If this is the case that Jesus, or excuse me, Judas, not Iscariot, was the brother of James the less, and I think he was, <clears throat> then that means that there was three sets of brothers in the apostles. There was James and John, there was Peter and Andrew, and then there was the other James and the other Jude or Judas. All right? So <coughs> those given names, Lebius and Thaddeus, <coughs> those come from uh, the idea of Lebius being courageous or heart, and Thaddeus, uh, the idea of compassion at the breast, and so a courageous heart or compassionate person. And uh, he had three total names, Judas, Lebius, Thaddeus. And so in some of the passages, like Matthew chapter 10, Mark, you find him named that. So he is Judas, <laughs> not Iscariot. Although his name was common, it must have been associated with shame among the apostles after what had happened. And so some have th- said that maybe he went by Lebius status or named himself that, but I think he was named that already, and we can understand why. But in Acts chapter 1, even after Judas Iscariot had hung himself, Judas is still listed as Judas, the other Judas. So now we look at this verse in John chapter 14, and we see here the context, as I mentioned earlier. It's after Judas Iscariot left in John 13, And verse number 30, when Judas Iscariot left, then Jesus begins to teach and to talk to the others. It's interesting that I don't believe, I might be mistaken, but I don't believe Judas Iscariot ever called Jesus Lord. But you'll notice that all around this event, the other men were calling him Lord. For instance, in John chapter 13, Peter asks in verse 24 and 25, he says in verse 25, he then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And so Peter asked John to ask Jesus, Lord, who is it? Then in John chapter 14 
and verse 5, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And in John chapter 14 and verse 8, we see Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And then in John chapter 14 and verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, says, Lord, how is it that thou wilt? And so they all recognized him as Lord, but I don't think Judas Iscariot ever did. That's just an interesting point. And they were all full of questions. In John chapter 13 and verse 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him. And so Peter, again, Lord, where are you going? You, you talk about you're going somewhere. Where are you going? And Thomas, again, verse 5 of chapter 14, how can we know the way? Philip, Lord, show us the Father. So they're all asking questions. And, of course, we pick it up where Judas, not Iscariot, asks that question that we're looking at tonight. So, again, verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? <clears throat> if you're leaving <clears throat> and yet you're going to keep revealing yourself to us but not to the whole world, how will you do it? It's a great question, and it opens up a great answer. Because here is the answer, and I just want to spend a little bit of time on this. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Number one, how will you manifest yourself to your, to your own? How will you manifest yourself to us, but not to the unbelievers? Through my word, through the word of God. This is why we... We're, we are expected to read and to know and to study the Word. Look at chapter 17. This is the same conversation just a few pages later. Chapter 17 and verse 14. Jesus is praying to the Lord while they're all together. <clears throat> I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is Truth, And then 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, <clears throat> it says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Lord, how will you manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Through his word. This is why Bible reading isn't just optional, it's necessary. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every movie they make about Jesus. That's not what he said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Not even every devotional. I wouldn't recommend substituting devotional reading for Bible reading. Nothing wrong with using devotional books to help with your Bible reading, but it's not a substitute. Chicken soup for the soul is not a substitute for Bible reading. All right, the Word of God. Many churches today aren't even emphasizing the Word of God because they're not even believing the Word of God anymore. It's under attack. It always has been. My pastor wrote a book. It's been out of print for years. And I've decided to get it put back into print and hopefully get it done in the next couple months because it's still under attack, the Word of God. And so he gave us his Word. And he gave us the abiding assurance of his word. His word, <coughs> as we abide in him, it brings assurance. <coughs> when we keep his word, he manifests himself to us. I don't know about you, but either opening it and reading it for myself or then opening it and having someone teach it or preach it, so many times reveals something I didn't think about before or enlightens me about something or reminds me about something I forgot about. And so, First, there's three parts to his answer when 
Judas, not Iscariot, says, Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us, but not to them? Through my word, you keeping my word. Number two in verse 23, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Not only does he give us his word, but if you're a believer, you have his abiding presence. Not only was his, will his word continue to be here, but his Holy Spirit will be with you as well. In John chapter 16, in fact, if we just keep reading, if we just start in verse 26, for, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. <coughs> and so the comforter, he answers with that, of course, back in verse 16 and 17. I pray the Father, he will shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you." And then also chapter 16 and verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit of God does not glorify himself. Some of these churches, they're, they're considered charismatic Pentecostal churches, have you know holy rollers, uh, and, and they swing from the chandelier, so to speak, and Yamaha, Suzuki, Kawasaki, uh, tongues, whatever it might be, Listen, the, Holy, the true Holy Spirit of God does not emphasize himself. The true Holy Spirit of God is emphasizing the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not glorifying himself. It's not about the Holy Spirit getting glory through some sensational movement, but rather the Holy Spirit is simply just pointing people to the Lord. He shall glorify, he'll not speak of himself. He shall glorify me. That's the point here. <clears throat> and so... It prom it, he promises his Holy Spirit's presence. That's also how he is revealed to us. Now, notice in verse 17, the Old Testament saints and the New Testament believers up until this point, up until the sending of the Comforter in Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> the official sending, the Holy Spirit was with them, verse 17. John 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. And in the future he shall be in you. Do you see that? So I think that's a good way to explain it. He's always been there, but something new's going to happen. And after Jesus rises from the grave and after he leaves the earth and the comforter has come, all the people saved, they're going to have the Holy Spirit not just with them, but in them because they'll no longer have Jesus walking with them but instead they'll have his spirit within them and that's what took place the Holy Spirit began to dwell within 
the believers. And today we understand the Holy Spirit is received the moment you're saved. And he begins to indwell with you. And that's why your body is called the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you <coughs> when you are saved. And so, according to John chapter 14, believers have the Spirit of God dwelling within them today. Christ dwelling within them. So to answer the question, because I'm going to leave you my word and you're going to keep it, and not only is the Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit going to be with you, he's going to literally be in you. And you will feel his presence within you, and he will dwell in you, within you. And then the Father and the Son dwelling within them, obviously, verse 23b, and with will manifest myself to him. I will love him and will manifest. And so verse 23, make our abode with him. And so there you see his presence. We don't really emphasize that enough. I think maybe because of the Charismatics and the Pentecostals, we tend to not emphasize the Holy Spirit like we ought to, but we need to recognize what a blessing it is to have the Holy Spirit of God. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit of God is there to help you when, you're, when, you're, when you need help and to encourage you and to help you as the children sing the song, to help in time of need and to, and to give us wisdom and direction and guidance. I like to say that the, the word of God is kind of hard to understand for the unbeliever. It, you say, well, well, when you talk about the word, doesn't, don't unsaved people own the word? Sure, but it's not the same for them. Because the Holy Spirit of God, as it says in Corinthians chapter 2, it says the natural man doesn't understand. But he which is spiritual has the Spirit of God, which the Spirit itself beareth witness, and he's able to help us. It's almost like God places his antenna within us so that we can now have a receiver. And we can receive and understand, and it makes sense to us like it didn't used to before it didn't it didn't make sense before but now it does and the holy spirit of god is there to guide us in his word and it doesn't mean you understand everything in the word of god immediately but you begin to understand it begins to make sense and there's a desire and a craving to know more and to learn more but also just in decision making and and wisdom and and what you should be doing and the direction you should go and 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 it says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, in the spirit of truth. And so you'll begin to recognize, wait a minute, the spirit of God is truth and there's something bothering me. Anybody besides me, just there's just something bothering, there's just something not, it just doesn't ring true. There's something wrong here. <clears throat> That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking and hopefully you're not grieving him. So we have his word, we have his presence. And the third answer part answer to the question <coughs> Lord how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world not only will you have my words and not only will my spirit dwell within you but also verse 27 of John 14 you're going to have something else and that is peace my peace peace I leave with you my peace I give unto you not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, verse 33, says it this way. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. <clears throat> in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The third reason, or the third answer, part answer to the question that was asked by Judas, not Iscariot, <coughs> is because I'm going to give you a peace that passes all understanding. 
Peace with God comes through being saved and justified by faith. Peace of God comes through the promise of God that he'll hear and answer our prayer. As it says in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, be, be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> this is something the world doesn't understand and cannot have. They don't really get the word. It doesn't really make sense. They don't understand this Holy Spirit presence inside. They don't have, they're, not, they're not indwelt with the Spirit of God. And they don't have peace in troubling times. That's why today I think pharmaceuticals are making a killing. Because people are looking... See, Jesus said it this way in chapter 14. He said, not as the world giveth. So the world can concoct a peace. They can sell it to you in a bottle. But that's not the kind of peace Jesus is offering. And we all know that that kind of peace that is artificial that the world manufactures has a side effect or two. And it costs a whole lot more. And it doesn't really have the same results. So the world knows nothing about God's word and God's Holy Spirit in God's peace. And those are the three things that manifests himself to his people. Those things. This is why believers with the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and his peace can charge hell, can march into the flames because they know that God's there. They know they have his word, his promises, and his Holy Spirit to guide them and direct them. And this is something our world knows nothing about and can't understand. That's why the Bible tells us they don't, they don't understand. They know us not. They knew him not. <clears throat> now, that's one aspect of Judas, that question that he asked. Great question that brought out a great passage. I love chapter 14, 15, 16. I love those passages about the comforter, and we have a great song, The Comforter Has Come. And Judas, not a scary, asked those questions. Now, let's look at <clears throat> the book that we we believe, we all most of us think anyway, I think most people I read think that Jude, the book Jude, the little one-page book called Jude, <coughs> is written by Judas, brother of James the Less, not Iscariot. And Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, James the Less, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me, for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. <clears throat> it's interesting that Jude is known for asking that one question to Jesus. And what was his question? About knowing you, Lord, when the world won't know you about seeing you and having you manifest to us when the world will not see you. <clears throat> and as time marches on, we need to be careful that we're not trusting in anything else other than the promise of our Lord. <clears throat> if we're not careful, people will say, you just believe something that was concocted. You just believe in a wizard of Oz, somebody who actually is behind the curtain designing and pulling buttons and pulling levers to make it look like some kind of a god. 
No, we believe in the true God. We're not <coughs> believing in bells and whistles and, and smoke and mirrors. <coughs> so it's interesting that Jude, in what he writes here, Judas, what he writes here is something to help us to, in confirming to us that Jesus is real, but there's an attack and there will be an attack. In verse 11, it says, for instance, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. He's talking about the people that are that are coming. And Judas, by the way, Jude was written, one of the later books written. That's why I think it's close to the end. It's not the last book of the Bible written, or but it's it's one of the later books written in the New Testament. And there was already apostasy coming. There was already error coming, and, and, and things were under attack. And so he's writing about this because there was a need to earnestly contend for the faith. And we need to understand, I don't mean to be contentious. But we need to understand that if it's not going with the Bible, if it's going against the Bible, we need to contend it. We need to object to it and stand up against it and say, look, that's not in the word. And the Spirit of God bothers me that, that that's being said when I know that's not what the word says. It's important. Well, you're just contentious. The Bible tells me to be contentious. It says to earnestly contend for the faith, not to try to be contentious, to wake up every morning just to be contentious, but to earnestly contend. Why? Because there's false doctrine happening. For instance, verse 11, woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Well, there's Cain and Abel. What's the, what's the main story about Cain and Abel? Abel offered the lamb. The blood of the lamb was the payment for sin. Cain tried to offer a bloodless sacrifice, a works-based salvation. That is going on, that's been going on all this time. A bloodless sacrifice, a works-based salvation. That's the way of Cain. We can be righteous. We can worship God. We just do it in our own way, but that's not God's way. and He won't accept it. He won't, he won't accept that. It won't work. And Cain ended up becoming a murderer. It's funny how people who are religious get angry at someone who doesn't agree with them and then kills them. That fixes it. That's what they did to Jesus. They've done that throughout history. Martyrs have been killed. Now we've gotten rid of the troublemakers. You just committed murder. People tied to the stake and burned alive at the stake and on and on. The way of Cain's been going on for a long time. And Judas was inspired by God to write that. And then it says, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Someone suggested the error of Balaam. First of all is greed, you know, the filthy lucre getting paid uh, by the unbelievers to try to uh, conjure up something and, and curse God's people. But also <coughs> the fact that Balaam had a hard time understanding that God's righteousness could be imputed on sinners who repent. The understanding that even though God's people can commit sin, that they can be saved and they can repent and, and be made clean and have the righteousness of Christ, not self-righteousness. And then also in verse 11 it says, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Korah, Korah back in the days of Moses when Korah tried to defy the, the authority of Moses. And the Bible says that the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and Abiram alive. That's the Korah. That's the family of Korah. And that's the idea of doubting and dis disobeying God's authority. Well, what's God's authority today? His word. So that's something to think about and to look at when we look at Jude and Judas and what he wrote. But notice verse 4. For there are, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness 
and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Lasciviousness means being lustful, loose and lewd, promoting lustful desires. It's interesting how even in our day you have people who are supposedly a church and, and supposedly Christian church, and yet there's a lot of just lustful actions and lustful uh, type of a music and dress and, 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 and atmosphere, and it's like, it's like Jesus plus Hollywood. But on top of that, notice this. Because if my name was Judas, not Iscariot, I think in the back of my mind I might be always a little bit conscientious of the fact that my namesake betrayed the Lord. I mean, I'm sure that Judas, not Iscariot, probably thought that Judas Iscariot was a better man than him. Because after all, Jesus trusted him with the treasurer's job. I don't know that Judas, not Iscariot, had that job, any kind of a job. <coughs> but Judas, not Iscariot, might have always been just a little bit conscientious of the fact that his namesake, Judas Iscariot, was exactly what verse 4 says, certain men crept in unawares. You know, Judas Iscariot fooled everybody but Jesus. They had no idea it was Judas Iscariot until after it happened. Couldn't believe it. And then, as we read already in verse 11, here's something else that kind of reminds us of just, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error for reward. Verse 11. That also reminds us of Judas Iscariot, who, who for greed sold Christ. Then... <clears throat> It says in verse 26 of Jude, it says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 12 of Jude, it says, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. Well, we know that's what Judas did. He ate the Passover before he left, before the Lord's Supper was, was given. He ate the Passover. He was spots in their feasts of charity and needed to leave before the Lord's Supper was passed out. <clears throat> and then also in verse 16, we see here, these are murmurers and complainers walking after their own lusts. See, there's really nothing new. And, and even Judas Iscariot did that back in John 12 when that woman took that expensive ointment and washed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet. Well, who guess who complained? His namesake, Judas Iscariot. Murmurers and complainers who are greedy, walking after their own lusts. So... <clears throat> We don't know for sure, but that's possibly something that he might have had impressed upon him. But let me just quickly read these verses and point out some other things quickly here. Verse 2, mercy on you and peace and love be multiplied. Well, remember, that's one of the promises that Jesus gave. You'll have my peace. And then verse 19, it says, these be they who separate themselves sensual in the flesh, carnal, having not the spirit. See, you can tell when someone is in is in tune with God because they have the spirit. And that's the second part of the promise that God gave is they would have the spirit of God. There would be God's spirit. There should be God's peace and there should be God's presence. But then notice also verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ the words of Christ and the words of the apostles that he inspired. So there's the three parts of the promise that Jesus gave to Judas, that you'll have those things. Those things will be a part of the, what, what reveals me and what 
what reminds you and what, and what allows you to know and, and manifest me to you, but not to the world. So he describes these last days and God uses him in this inspired book. Let me quickly read these 28 verses here and, and, and not stop and then I'll comment on the end. Jude, verse 1, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. You ought to have God's love and peace in your heart if you're saved. That ought to be there, beloved. I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be aware of how many different ways Satan has used people to twist the, the, the simple gospel message. Verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Just because the, the parents believed doesn't mean that maybe everyone, there was a mixed multitude, and then the children, they had to believe for themselves. Verse 6, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. He talks about even the fallen angels and how the, even angels fell. Be careful. He's, he's being very cautious here. Why? Because he saw his namesake Judas fall. Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves to fornication and going after strange flesh and are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. You know, I can't even imagine that my grandchildren would be sodomites. But I'm telling you, it could happen. No, not me. Not my family. Why? We need to be humble and, and not, not afraid, but out of the fear of God, we need to be humble and say, oh God, help us to never become, a, never assume or take for granted anything. And, and it says in verse 8, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of divinities. Yet, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. What does that mean, Pastor? <coughs> Even Michael the archangel was careful in his handling of Satan, because Satan's got power. I don't like the song, the devil is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. Or down by the river, took a little walk, met up with the devil, and we had a little talk. I'm going to tell you why I don't like that. You don't have a clue who the devil is. The devil, the Bible says, is a roaring lion walking about. You don't mess with the devil. This is why I don't, I, I never, and we we don't watch horror movies. It is horrific just to know what some of the young people in our community watch. The blood and gore and the spiritual wickedness. And it says even Michael the archangel was careful in his handling of Satan and was wary of the fact that Satan is a powerful being. But simply said, the Lord rebuke thee. Not me in my own power. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally, 
as brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. Some people are infatuated with studying Satan and knowing more about Satan. Not me. I don't want I don't want to know Satan. I want to know Christ. Woe unto them. Verse 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. That's a pretty horrible thing to be called, twice dead. That means you're unsaved and you're lost. You're either born born twice or you're going to die twice. The second death. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, and I'm looking forward to that day, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them against him and it's coming verse 16 these are murmurs complainers walking after their own lusts and their mouth speaketh great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage but beloved remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts Judas not Iscariot seems to be very concerned about Christians taking it easy and assuming that well it's you know battles and and of course Jesus died on the cross the battle is over but that doesn't mean Satan is dead or that he won't get you and he can't take you to hell but he can certainly mess up your life and certainly mess up your family This is why we should never assume that just because we're saved and just because our kids grew up knowing the Bible, that means they're saved. And just because we think that they know a lot of Bible, that our grandkids are going to be good to go. That's not how it works. In fear and trembling, we need to recognize the importance of every individual in our family having a personal humbling before Christ. These be they, verse 19, who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. This is how it ends though, verse 20 through 25. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, when I leave, I'm gonna give you a comforter. And so what does Judas say? Pray with the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Ghost. Keeping yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. Didn't we sing that a little bit ago? Someone chose that tonight. Compassion makes a difference. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. You see, there are some people who are just in the slime of wickedness, but you know what? They don't know better. I mentioned about movies and <coughs> and horror films and, and, and even horror games and whatnot. There are some children, that, that's their, their whole life. They don't know anything else and they don't even think anything about it because that's all they know. If some have compassion, making a difference. Earlier today, someone said, you know, so-and-so, a child that's been coming to this church for several years. So-and-so is so different than they used to be. 
when they used to, when they first came here, they were like a wild kitten. We brought them to church, and they were just like a wild animal. I, I don't know about you, but I don't personally like a complete stranger, even if it's a child, crawling on me and licking me in the face. But we had a child that first came, when they first came here, they would just get their, they'd get their face in your face and then lick you and go, meow, I'm a cat. That's gross. Wild. But over the time, some had compassion and made a difference. I don't know if the world notices the difference. And I was thankful that someone this morning brought it up this after after church this afternoon and said, there's such a difference. I said, thank you for bringing that up because sometimes I just forget. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. When when I'm when I'm focused on someone getting saved, it's not because I I'm 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 wanting the, I'm counting them as an, I'm counting their noses. I'm counting them as a member. I want them to get involved so they can help fund the place. No, it's just pulling them out of the fire. Maybe they'll never join the church. Maybe they'll never come back. When we used to have the ministry at juvenile at the juvenile center, just down the road here when it used to exist, we didn't do it because it was a great way to build the church. We did that because they needed to be pulled out of the fire. And to this day, there are Star Academy kids that have gotten saved that are my Facebook friends, and I still see them and hear from them. And some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Talked about Jacob, that young man Jacob, who got saved here and then died a few years later, pulling them out of the fire before it's too late. And then it goes on to say, and hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. We try so hard to teach young people, you don't have to live in the slime. There is a better way, a cleaner way, a holier way to live, a God-honoring way. And you can live that way. And we want to try to demonstrate that to you. Verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Isn't that interesting? Notice what Jesus said to Judas back in John 14, 23. When Judas asked him in 14, 22, he said, how? Jesus said, if a man will love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him. And then Judas writes in his book, keep yourselves in the love of God, verse 21. And then in verse 24, he says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. I think it rattled his cage that the other Judas turned out to be a fraud. It probably startled him and shocked him when he heard Peter had gone back to fishing. 
Peter walked on water. Judas, not Iscariot, never walked on water. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. I'm thankful for Judas. I don't know much about him. And we have others that we won't know much about either. We'll just study their life and what little we can understand and the little snippets that we get. But he asked a great question. Lord, how are you going to manifest yourself to us? Through my word, through my Holy Spirit living in you, and through a peace that the world can't give you. And that's how he'll keep you from falling. By trusting him and keeping yourselves in the love of God. And as I preached this morning, put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't just have Jesus as a part of your life, but have Jesus as the center of your life. Keep him number one and keep him as your number one and only focus. And trust that he'll use you to make a difference. I want to sing that song again. Was that 680? Is that what the number was? 860? Let's sing it again. Compassion makes a difference.